So Arnold, you're a student leader, is that yeah, right? Yeah. So for you, what what's that been like in terms of the young people that you're around and the uncertainty they have about tomorrow yeah. and the way that they're making their decisions and living their lives for today? Yeah, I mean, I think that's played out quite a few ways. Um, one big way is let's just go crazy today because who know, who cares? Well, I'm not going to care about what what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, so let's just do anything today. You see that a lot, actually. I remember when I was in uni, it was it was just that mindset like today is the day, tomorrow it doesn't matter. And some of the students I'll talk to would be like, hey, so like you, you're in your second year now, what do you want to do later? And they don't even want to talk about it. Um, what do you say to um, students that you're talking to um, to help them deal with their anxiety? Yeah, well, interestingly enough, um, I... I think I tried to change their, their mindset of the today. So, because um, I, I can relate, you can really see it in their, their faces. They're just like, I'm just going to fail. Um, and I, I wouldn't tell them, well, just go crazy today. I'd probably tell them, tomorrow's coming, but just focus on trying as hard as you can today. Just focus on, let's go through this one topic or this one page today. Good to see you. If you're new here, uh, my name's Joel, and we're doing this series of messages through the autumn term called On Your Mind, where we're looking at the big broad theme of anxiety under lots of subheadings, Sunday by Sunday. And uh, we've started uh, last week. Today, we're getting into this subheading of the future, tomorrow, anxiety about tomorrow. And uh, we're talking really about the unknown when we talk about tomorrow, that's, I guess, what causes us anxiety. We, we, we feel ignorant, and because we feel ignorant, we can feel helpless, and that can multiply the, the worries in our minds. We, we'll feel worried or fearful in relation to what we feel most needful of. Our, our anxieties tend to be... Uh, uh, a reflector, you know, an index as to the things that we, we most desire, we most crave, we most feel the need of. If you deeply feel the need for approval, uh, the thing you'll most fear uh, will be criticism. If the thing you most desire and feel the need for is love, uh, the thing that you'll fear is rejection. If the thing you most desire and feel the need for is comfort, then the thing that you will fear it will be physical pain. And, and these, these worries and anxieties can all contribute to one another as well. They can crisscross. They can, they can create what uh, the book of Proverbs refers to in Proverbs chapter 12 as heaviness in the heart. Anxiety weighs us down weighs us down and sometimes quite irrationally when you think about it when you're being anxious about the future you're you're normally trying to kind of i guess sort of intuitively anticipate multiple worst case scenarios that usually contradict each other they, they can't possibly all happen only only one or maybe two of them will conceivably happen anyway, but, but nevertheless, we fear them all at once. So it doesn't 
actually fit logically, but, but anxiety doesn't work by logic. It, it claims to. But anxiety works by intimidation. It works by bullying. It works by propaganda. It demands our attention. When we feel frightened, when we feel anxious, it's, it's anxiety assuming a position of sovereignty. You, you will be anxious. And it puts pressure on us, which it may be without foundation if we, if we were able to look at it in a purely, clearly logical way. But we, we feel we can't. So it works on a very emotional level, very kind of visceral level. And it demands our attention. Now, I want to actually come to you today with the words of someone else who demands your attention instead. Jesus talks about anxiety in quite a demanding way, as we'll find out as we look at this passage. We're... We're going to go through the last chunk of Matthew chapter 6. If you've been with us at all for the last few weeks, months, you'll know we've been in Matthew quite a lot, and we actually were in chapter 6 a few months ago, but we, we skipped this bit uh, back in the spring because we knew we were going to get to it in the autumn. We knew that much about the future. We knew that much. Uh, we, we planned, and we were right. Uh, the future came, and here it is. Uh, we are doing the bit we skipped. So if you've got your Bible, you might want to turn to Matthew chapter 6 and verses 25 to the end of the chapter, and it will be read to us now, uh, and the video will play on the screen with the reading. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What should we eat? Or what should we drink? Or what should we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's just pray. Father, we're so grateful for your kindness, uh, the gift you've given in your Son, the Lord Jesus, and in his uh, wisdom shared with us, the revelation of, of you, your goodness, your provision, your sufficiency for us. And we need, Lord, to have the Holy Spirit open our eyes, illuminate us, so that light breaks into the darkness and we live more free, we live more liberated, we live within the, within the vision that Jesus shares with us in this passage. We live 
Lord, without this cumbersome burden of anxiety that we unnecessarily carry, God, come, up, come and help us uh, as we look at these things together now in the name of Jesus. Just take a moment yourself right now, whoever you are, even if you're new to praying, just say, God, please speak to me if you're there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So one of the first things that you might think as you read this passage with us here today is, uh, is planning therefore disapproved of? Are we not allowed to make any provision for the future? Is Jesus against pensions? Is Jesus against insurance? It might be a big deal if you work in insurance. <laughs> Some of you might be uh, thinking, how am I going to hand in my notice tomorrow? I'll just sort of write a letter to my boss. You know, Jesus told me to quit. Uh, this, whole, this whole industry is based on disobedience. Well, no, you don't have to uh, take that step because if we, we think carefully about the, 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 the full message of what Jesus is saying here, he's not... He's not prohibiting planning even the birds who he refers to uh, as, a, as a model for us in this passage they plan they prepare they build nests you notice that they build for the future they do prepare and they work hard so this is neither is this uh, Jesus prohibiting work you know some people read these bits of the bible in a kind of superficial way and come away thinking yeah, Jesus is Jesus is basically saying just chill the whole point of Jesus' ministry is just, you know, just lean back, you know, skin up, and just, 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 like, just Netflix. That's all you need. Just, just enjoy. Just life is a breeze. That's the whole point of Jesus' teaching. You've missed it clearly because there's no point in this where he, he uh, calls us to inaction and zero planning. What he's talking about is the, the motor, the engine beneath the surface. What's, what's the the desire system that's in place. What, where, where's, the, where's the motive in our action or even in our inaction? That's really what he wants to shine light on. And he does it actually by slowing us down. So you see, the second question we might have is, how is this helpful? Just being told, I mean, he says three times, don't be anxious. If that's, what, if that's the sum of his teaching, then we might, we might be a little skeptical about the usefulness of this bit of teaching. If I'm feeling terribly anxious, I've personally, I don't know about you, my personal experience is whenever I'm really worried, I'm not all that helped by people who come along and tell me, don't be worried. It <laughs> tends to just add another layer onto the worry. And frankly, whenever I say don't be worried to somebody, I have to check my motives because the reason I'm saying it might simply be because they're being an inconvenience to me. I don't like you worrying. It makes me feel uncomfortable or irritated. So stop worrying. Um, is that what Jesus is doing? Is he just is he sort of throwing out a rule just to keep us quiet? Just tired of your worrying. Stop whinging. Stop worrying, you people. Uh, to be sure, that's often the, the, the motive behind our exhortations. Our, our disapproval of anxiety can simply be down to that. We just, just find it personally inconvenient. That's not where Jesus is coming from. That's not where he's coming from. He understands people. He understands humanity. He's human. Jesus knows humanity from the inside. He knows what he's talking about. 
So this isn't just a law or an injunction. He's actually taking his time. Okay, he gives three don't be anxiouses in this passage, but they're punctuated with all kinds of important insight. And it's, it's a richer passage than just, just the rules coming at us. I, as a dad, I've noticed that people are different. I've noticed that people respond to the future differently. People respond to the, the possibilities differently. My, my kids, when I try to teach them at different stages to ride bikes, and four of my kids, uh, the fifth is too young, Yes, I have five kids. The, 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 uh, the, the four who've ridden bikes, all of them have learned differently. And the, one of them, I, 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 she didn't even have to be taught. She just got on it and rode. She just <laughs> didn't have to say anything. She just got on and did it. And the, another one is the direct opposite. Hours and hours of me doing my, stop being so worried. Um, all the wrong motives, but, but, but what was going on was in his mind, I guess, it was just huge loads of imagination. He just, he's, he's like a visionary. He's just seeing all the possible worst-case scenarios, all the worst injuries he could, uh, he could accumulate in, in his desperate attempts to start riding a, a two-wheeler. And it, 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 it was like a journey, such a journey. It's lots of time, lots of effort, lots of stooping over, trying to... Because people are so different. And some people, probably, it's worth being honest about, will be more inclined to anxiety, more inclined to worry. There's a slightly higher disposition for some. There's a, uh, a certain way that our minds work, a certain way that we're wired a little, little differently. Our imaginations flow a little differently. And, and, and Jesus knows that. The, the Bible's open, honest about that. So when the Bible says, don't be anxious, and it says, don't, it doesn't say, just say, don't be anxious three times in this paragraph. The Bible says, don't be afraid, more than 300 times. More than 300 times, don't be afraid. So you get the impression, this book is kind of anti-fear. It's a big, big point of this book. But when we only hear that as, I'm really frightened, and now I'm frightened about the fact that I'm frightened, we need to step back and think, what is the way that this book deals with our fear? It deals with it in a... A closer to the, a closer in kind of way, arm round the shoulder kind of way. I'm struck even this week in my in my daily readings in, in Psalm 56. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. What a verse! When I am afraid, it's nice and honest, isn't it? If I wrote the Bible, it would be in the hypothetical scenario where I might possibly be inclined to the temptation to some degree of nervousness. Uh, I will put my trust in you because I would want to clean it up. I would want to hide the fact that fear is kind of around. Fear, fear is something I often feel. So the psalmist is way more honest. Yeah, fear is not a good thing, but when I'm afraid, when I'm afraid, because it happens, I trust in you. I will, I will put my trust in you. Let's not pretend this ain't real, but let's learn how to handle it, how to work with it. And Jesus wants to help us. And he does it, fascinatingly, in a way that is also it's kind of counterintuitive for us that Jesus spends a lot of time slowing us down. It's a, lot of, it's a curious passage if you think about it. It's not the way that perhaps we moderns would do this. Here's a box set of lecture notes. Here's some recordings. Here's some podcasts. Here's a seminar track. Jesus says, go, go to the zoo. 
Go to the aviary, go to the bird section and look. Come with me to the garden, look at these flowers, look at the lilies, look. He really means it. You can't say, Jesus says, do not be anxious, there's the instruction. That's the only imperative in this paragraph. It's not. As you notice, there's also the imperative, look at the birds. He means it. You can't obey one and not obey the other. The other one's a bit sort of flower girl. We don't really, we don't really, that's just Jesus being weird. No, Jesus is not weird. He means it. He says, no, take a look. I want you to look. I want you to stop. I want you to reflect. I want you to take the time to observe. I want you to ask questions. He even does ask a question. He, he, he puts it in a question form. Why are you anxious about what you shall wear? Did you notice that? Why are you anxious? He's asking why. Think. Stop. 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 Because if, honestly, friends, if there's anything true about anxiety, it's that it doesn't want you to stop. It won't let you. It will lie to you. It will bully you into saying, you cannot stop. You're not allowed. Jesus says, you must. You must. You must slow down and you must take time to look carefully and ask critically. Ask yourself. Question yourself. Look under the surface of the anxiety. Why are you anxious? What is it that's troubling you? What's underneath the fear? And what's underneath that? Be honest with yourself. Consider. Take some layers off this. So he takes time. He wants us to do the same. And he, and he does it by actually... Well, let us go through it. At the time I've got, I want to take four looks at this. There are four key stages, it seems to me, in how Jesus serves us in this bit of teaching. The first thing he does, he exposes the illusion of control. That's what he's doing all the way through. But let me just point out one verse especially that probably did strike you as we were reading it. Verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? What's he doing? He's, he's pointing out the, the illusion of control. He's, he's questioning that. He's saying, you, you very easily, without realizing you're doing it, you don't quite realize it because you don't question it. You slide into the assumption that your worry represents a certain ability to control the future. That you, you imagine that you actually can have control over what's to come. It's interesting to me. I just this last week watched the last of the Avengers movies at the encouragement of my enthusiastic children. And uh, watched, watched the, again, these Marvel characters who are, I guess they're set up as kind of paragons, aren't they? They're kind of what we would all like to be. And what they are is people who are seriously powerful. They can control matter. They can control the cosmos. They can do quite a lot of it, it would seem. They've got power over time and space. I guess we, we, have the, we cling on to these ideals of what it would mean, what it would be like to have that much control. And we yearn for it instinctively because it's actually part of our, our problem. The Bible diagnoses us at the very first bit of the Bible, saying that we blew it, me and you, yes, us, human race, human people, from the beginning, our massive error at the very earliest stage of humanity was to succumb to the lie that we, by snatching, 
could be as gods. You will be as gods, we were told, by God's enemy. And we, we snatched for that, that right, that prerogative, that, that role. And by trying to reach out to snatch it, we fell a million miles. But that hunger, that, that hankering is still there. You know, I must have control of the future. Jesus says that you can't live that way. You've got to, you've got to be content in your creatureliness. You're not the creator, you're the creature. You will never rest until you've settled that. It's interesting that later in the New Testament, James, who, uh, Jesus' brother, in fact, he puts it like this in James chapter 4, uh, in, in, in a fairly strong letter. You should read the book of James, but you know, kind of sit down before you read it. It's a tough book. He says this in chapter 4. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So when we, we, we can either do this by presumption and arrogance or by terror and anxiety. Either way, what we're doing is we're imagining that we control the future. And Jesus and James are saying, uh-uh, don't even go there. If the Lord wills. Remember, remember your creatureliness. That's the first big thing he's saying. The second thing is that he shares with us the right worldview. He shares his worldview. And you, you see that again all over the passage, but let me draw out a few examples of it. I guess uh, uh, verse 26 is, is helpful particularly, where he says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them. What's he doing when he talks that way? I mean, it seems a strange tangent to go down, doesn't it? What? what? I, okay, let's look at the birds. That's what you want me to do? Why is he saying this? What's the point of this? Well, I, I think there's lots of things we could say. Maybe we should all go and look at the birds before we, we, we do too much talking. But there's one thing for certain. <laughs> I've never seen where God does this. Jesus seems to be saying, you know, your father, God feeds them. God feeds the birds. Did you know about this? I didn't know. I was, I've never seen this happen. There must be a secret meeting. There must be some massive barn somewhere where God shows up with a huge bowl of soup and gives you know, a celestial cradle, and, or a ladle, I mean, and just holds it out and these... These, these rows of pigeons come along and, and God, with his big wispy beard, stands there and makes sure that every little sparrow and robin has been adequately served with food. No, we, that, that doesn't work for us. That, that, that nonsense idea doesn't really work for us. So what do we do instead? Well, we rebound to a view of God, which is the, the I suppose you could say it's the opposite of that, where God is the kind of cosmic, kind of heavenly, eternal watchmaker who sets the world up according to big kind of laws of physics. You know, it's, it all works according to Newtonian laws that 
He's kind of set in place. He's made sure it works. It's a good watch. He winds it up, winds it right up tight, and then let's go. And then goes and has lunch and, and goes to be God in some other place. You know, he goes to be mysterious while creation just unwinds for billions of years according to laws that he set in place. And he's kind of forgotten about them, really. We tend to have either the weird view of God where he's kind of in creation, basically just the same as us, well-meaning, feeding a few birds if he can get to them, which most of us think, you know, that's, not, that's kind of Zeus, isn't it? That's like the old weird pagan gods. Or this kind of this abstract concept that's not really involved. Neither of them will do. They are not the God of the Bible. Jesus knows very clearly that, that God doesn't show up with a ladle. And when the people in the Bible say, you know, God sends the rain, they did know about clouds. They knew about physical laws. They, they did know. They're not as much as we know now. We've got a bit more science. You know, we're a bit cleverer. That's fair enough. We've got some more knowledge for sure. But, but friends, we don't know anything about how much God knows. And God is involved to the most infinitesimal degree of detail right down to the sub 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 nuclear level and he is involved on the most gloriously massive scale of intergalactic power he he knows and controls everything everything and what we see as things just ticking over you know Sparrow pulling a worm out of the soil or you know, eating a seed. That's, 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 just, that's just random. That's just nature. That's just stuff. Just It's not random. It's not just nature. God is supervising with sensational wisdom. Every tiniest atom in the universe. Nothing happens outside of his express intentional permission he, he does it all and I know that blows the mind there ought to be a few questions like does that mean he's in control of even horrible things that happen friends that's a whole other subject notice Jesus doesn't go there in this passage he, he's trying to help us as, I mean it's a good question and the answer has to be God is in control even of things that we don't understand we don't understand everything that he allows to happen things that we wish he wouldn't but we must come to this place of confidence in his sovereign control over absolutely everything and the bible does this again and again the bible keeps playing this note if you go through it you get to the place like the book of job where, where god spends chapter after chapter making the same point to a man who's gone through horrifying suffering God's way of counselling Job and, and comforting him is actually to give him a bigger view of his glorious sovereignty over everything Job I never took my hand off the wheel I never took my eye off the ball I am in complete control of everything there is no rogue atom in the universe no rogue sub-nuclear particle, nothing outside of his clear, powerful, sovereign authority. Jesus means for us to take strength from that. He means for us to be able to say, I don't know how he does it. I don't know how he can try. I can't see how, but I trust that he does. And that means I don't have to. I don't have to. I'm a creature. 
He is in utter, complete authority over it all. And it helps me so much to be able to say that. I, I, when somebody comes along and says, don't worry, I, I will probably weigh their words a little bit on the basis of who they are, <laughs> what authority they have to say that. Some well-meaning, random loony saying, don't worry, it means very little to me. But Jesus coming as God in the flesh from the Father saying, I know things, I know, I know what you need to know, and that is that there's a good Father in control. So that, that slogan that you may have seen before on a fridge magnet or a screensaver, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Well, that's, that's not a verse in the Bible, but it, it's about right. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds it. There's a way of knowing who holds it. This is how Jesus wants us to be free. Jesus wants us to live in the good of that. That's why Martin Luther said, every time you hear a nightingale sing, you are hearing the voice of an excellent preacher. Sometimes the, the, the creatures of... Sometimes the, the non-human parts of creation know a bit more than we do. They're kind of in on the secret. It's us humans that have got a problem. It's like when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and the kids started worshipping and they said, shut those children up. And Jesus said, if you shut them up, the rocks will cry out. Sometimes creation is in on it more than, more than we humans. We, we need to uh, live freer because we know something about the sovereignty of God. That's the second thing. The third thing, let's move on. You could ask the question, okay, a God that's in control of what's going on, does he have a plan? Is it going anywhere? Is there a purpose behind his control? It's one thing to have control. It's another thing to know what to do with it. Sometimes you look at the world and you think, whoever is in control of this, whoever is in control of, of this political situation we're in right now, I, what? it doesn't make any sense at all. Whoever is in control of, of environmental issues, economic issues, yeah, situations in Syria, who is in control of that? How could there be any plan? Jesus leaves even that. To, to, he, he, he leaves us free of the worries on that level because he reminds us of the kingdom. Look at what he says in, in verse uh, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus here, having kind of exposed the illusion of control, firstly. Secondly, sharing his view of God's sovereignty with us. Thirdly, he raises our ambition, raises our vision, lifts us up to have a bigger view of where history is going, where the future with a big F is going. What's the point What's the purpose of existence? And Jesus says, there is a kingdom. There is a king that God is raising up who will reign over everything. And this has always been God's plan. In response to our failure, our fall, God did not fall back into despair and say, chaos will now reign supreme. 
And I don't know how I'm going to solve Brexit. I don't know how I'm going to solve it because it's just the world is messed up. No, God has never been perturbed. God has a plan and an intention. And what he calls us to do here is to catch up with his bigger plan, his bigger vision. Our worries and anxieties speak of a mindset that we, we, we wrongly adopt where we imagine that the only kingdom that matters is, is my kingdom. My, my little life, my little kingdom, my little agenda. And that's, and that's all I care about. And if I do, of course I'm going to be anxious. Because who knows how my kingdom is going to go? I can't predict the outcome. I can't predict whether I'm going to be successful or not. I just can't. However many good self-help books I read, however much I try and improve myself... I haven't got the control. We've already talked about that. I, I just, it's, a, it's an illusion. And so I live in anxiety. If the kingdom I seek is my kingdom, anxiety is on the menu every day. It just is. This is why, for example, you may have noticed the, the passage starts off with the word therefore. And you may have heard this say before. Whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you should look to see what it is there for. What, why is it there? Why is this passage here? Well, it's, it means it's linked with the thing that's said before. And the thing Jesus says before, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, is no one can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Our anxiety. Then he says, therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. So the, the link here is, is important. He's saying to us, if you live with a, a divided heart where you're kind of seeking God but really kind of seeking your kingdom and you haven't really put his kingdom first, you're really putting your own first, friends, you're going to live in anxiety because the tension, the tension will force it on you. You will live in a place of tension constantly. I can't be sure whether I can trust that everything will work out for good. If you say in your heart... God is in control, he has a plan for the world, and he has a plan for my life. Therefore, if I follow Jesus, life might not get easier. In fact, frankly, in many ways, life will get harder. But I'm following him, I'm seeking his kingdom, and the promise is that he will look after all these other things. He will see to everything else. I, I take care of God's business, he takes care of my business. I pursue his kingdom, he looks after my little kingdom. But if I, if I try to keep my control of my kingdom, I'm just going to live with constant tension. And so the biggest, bravest moments in the Christian life are often the ones that are most liberating. When people say in their heart, I don't know what the outcome of this decision is going to be. I don't know but I'm going to do it because it's what Jesus calls me to do. Often those are the most defining and liberating times in a person's life. When you feel like I've got about 15% of the information, <laughs> I don't know who I'm going to offend, I don't know which friends I might lose, I don't know if this is going to bring me into wealth or poverty, I don't know, but I know it's what God wants me to do. I know that. And you, you actually, friends, a strange thing. Those are often the most peaceful times in your life. Because you're free. Just know, I don't have to know. I don't have to control. I just have to obey. 
<laughs> God looks after all that. He says, he's promised, he's promised it. He promises it all through this book. His faithfulness is staggering. My experience has been, it's, it's true. It works. It works. In my little tiny Mickey Mouse version of faithful obedience to Jesus, it's, it's worked so far. The little steps I've taken to trust him. <gasps> trust him. Is this going to work? Who's going to hate me because of this? We're going to run out of money. We're going to and, and just his ability, his everlasting arms, his ability to meet my needs. It's phenomenal. <laughs> Only God. And, and Jesus said, seek first. See, your anxiety about your worries, you're, just, you're worried about the wrong things. I'll give you something to worry about, the kingdom of God. Get ambitious. Get the big picture. Care about Jesus being famous around the world. Care about that. Stop caring about what you wear, what you eat. Do you think I can't look after that? Of course I can. I've got control over everything. We can be childish about this, not have the right, not have a kind of a grown-up perspective. Like I took my kids to the zoo while we were on holiday, and I love taking kids to the zoo. But it's fascinating watching the way they respond to different things. You can have a, an enclosure with a lion walking around roaring. It's a fabulous kind of moment in our day. But there can be a mouse just walking around nearer to where the, one of your kids is, and it's suddenly more exciting than the lion. You think, we didn't come for the mice, you know that? That's not the main, you can see them in, in Brighton, you can. Problem, yeah, look closely enough. <laughs> we can get you a mouse from the pet shop, not a lion. Perspective. Fourth and final thing, fourth and final thing. Jesus calls us to, back to his rhythm, his rhythm. What I mean is, he says in verse 34, he says this. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's something we often miss. We don't quite see this, friends. I want you to listen carefully for this last chunk. We don't quite realize that God really meant it when he set creation off on a daily rhythm. 24-hour chunks of time, day and a night, day and a night, day and a night. That's, that's his intention because it's how it helps us to live within this present unit. It helps us to live humbly dependent as creatures upon our creator. I can't know what will happen tomorrow, but I can devote myself to obeying him today. And say today, God, I need grace for today. I sometimes think if, if God was to tell me everything that I want to know about the next six months or six years, then I'll be much happier. I'll be much more relaxed because, well, I could sort of plan. I could, you know, I could know exactly how it was going to work. I'll tell you what else will happen. I will become extremely arrogant and self-sufficient. And I will see very little need to draw near to God. But in this place of creaturely ignorance, I am daily, daily reminded of my need to come back to him. So I depend on you. I depend on you for grace, for today, for today, for today. God wants this regularity of relationship with me. He does this with you. And so be, being able to know the future is, is not all it's jacked up to be. Because it might actually strangely drive a wedge between you and your dependence on your heavenly father. There's that famous story, some of you may know, of Corrie ten Boom, who 
she was a Dutch girl. In, in, during the war, her, her family in Harlem uh, protected some Jews. And it's a, it's a deeply moving story of what happened to her family. But she, she was, as a young girl, quite understandably nervous, wondering what will happen. And she said to her dad, the thing she was worried about, will I be strong? Will I stand for Jesus when it really matters? If we get in trouble for this, if we end up being taken away, if we end up having to say, Jesus, I'm going to do what you say even if it means I get shot by a prison camp guard. And if you're like me, that's the kind of thing. When we talk about tomorrow on your mind, that's the sort of thing that I'm tempted to worry about a lot. What if it gets harder to be a Christian? What if, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? I want to know. How will I do? How will I, will I have grace? Will I have strength for tomorrow? You ever been there? And her dad said to her, Corey, when we go to get on a train, when do I give you the ticket? Do I give it to you two weeks before we go on the train? No. Do I give it to you as, as we're walking towards the train station? No. When do I give it to you? You give it to me just before we get to the guard, just at the point when I need it. Just at the point when I need it. That's when you give me the ticket. Because she's a little girl. You know, you give, you give a ticket to one of your children, they might lose it if you give it to them two weeks early. You give it to them just when they need it. And he's teaching her this very thing. Sufficient for the day. God gives you grace for the day, gives you grace for the moment. I've been amazed, even this year, looking back on some of the stuff that I think, if I'd known actually this is going to happen in a couple of months' time, I might not have got out of bed. It wouldn't have helped me. But when I've got to the point where it's been trouble, crisis, problem, I've been amazed at how I've just felt peace. I felt grace for it at the time. And you ask people who've walked with Jesus for years, they'll tell you that story, versions of that story. And some of you are thinking, is that really true? In a way, what you're asking is, what's he really like? Isn't it? That's what we're asking. What, what is he? I, okay, I get this idea that he controls everything. He feeds the birds. Yeah, I get it. You know, Mary Poppins. I get that. I get that he's in control. Great Powerful control, phenomenal cosmic power. I get that. He's the genie. Is that what he is? What's Jesus' great stress in this passage? What's he trying to say? He's not just trying to say that he's in powerful control. He keeps using that phrase. Did you see it? Your heavenly father. He knows what you need. He knows what you need before you even know it yourself. And the best example of this, we didn't know that we needed forgiveness, did we? Some of you still don't. You don't know the thing that you need the most is peace with God. The thing that's actually more pressing than good grades, your parents' approval, a good family, a good salary, the thing that you need more than anything. Good health, 
guaranteed provisions, good outcomes to the political problems, peace in our time, freedom from the danger of terrorism, freedom from the danger of environmental disaster. Yeah, they, they all feature. I tell you, they don't come close. The thing you really need is peace with God. Peace. Because you're born into a war with God. Make no mistake. And you need to lay down your arms and ask for forgiveness. And God has provided forgiveness. Because when you didn't even want it, let alone deserve it, he sent his son to die for you. That's what he's done for you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we didn't care. We didn't even care, let alone know about it. Jesus died unspeakably horrible suffering. So that you and me could walk to the Father and know his embrace, know his forgiveness, know his utter acceptance. So you don't need to worry, friends. Okay, he's really powerful. Does that mean he cares about me? What I'm going to eat, what I'm going to wear? Does he really care? Look at the cross and be persuaded. He cares. He cares more than you could even possibly imagine. He cares way beyond your expectations. And he's willing to draw near to you even now before we finish today's meeting and restore peace and confidence in your heart. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to come to take bread and wine. If you're a Christian, I want you to do this with confidence, knowing that this is God inviting you to his table, saying, welcome, sit, eat, drink with me. You belong to me. And if you're not yet a Christian, and you think, well, should I take bread and wine? The answer is no, not yet. But we would love to help you too. So come and talk to us. Talk to me. Talk to one of the people at the table. Over here on this side of the room, you'll, there'll be a prayer team who are particularly prepared to pray with people who want prayer. If you've got specific anxieties, troubles, or even a health issue that, we'd love, that you'd like prayer for, that's what we'd like to do for you today. Let's stand right now, shall we? Let me just pray. Father, thank you for, Lord, this, this Jesus who makes everything different. And we pray for his presence with us right now as we sing and celebrate, we ask you. I pray for anxieties to be put to flight. I pray for it. And Lord, not just for a momentary, uh, just sort of fleeting experience of tenderness at the end of a meeting, but that, Lord, you would train us to do what you do, to, to, to see the wisdom and sovereignty of God around us, to think differently, to question our anxieties, to get underneath them and say, no, that isn't true. I know too much now. I know who's in control. I know he's good. I know he's for me. And I'm, I am going to serve his purpose in my generation. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.